Last Sunday, I began my message with a bold statement. The local church is the hope of the world because of two things. Its message and its what? Does anybody remember? Look around you this morning. You are surrounded by what? You are surrounded by people. The local church is the hope of the world because of its message and because of its people, because of people like you and me. We have been entrusted with this message of hope. Do you think our world needs hope? I mean, every person on this planet needs hope today, and we have been entrusted with a message of hope, the message of the good news of Jesus. And part of that message that's so central to understanding God and his, his actions in this world is this simple thought, that we were made with a purpose. Now, last week, we talked about five distinct purposes that God has for each one of our lives. And it's really important for us to understand that. And here's something equally important to understand, that we cannot accomplish those purposes for our lives alone. In order to accomplish God's purposes, you need God's, you can say it, God's people. We need each other. In fact, to accomplish God's purposes, we are going to work best together. And so this morning, I want to address a very important purpose that God has for your life and for my life. And I want to introduce this topic with the following story. One time a priest and a rabbi go to a party, and the priest sits down by the rabbi and says, you have got to try some of this ham. I know it's against your religion to eat pork, but this is Virginia honey baked ham, and it is delicious. The rabbi responds, I am not eating ham. The priest isn't about to give up, so he says to the rabbi, man, when are you going to loosen up and live a little? The rabbi says, okay. Okay, I'll tell you when I'll eat ham. When, asked the priest. The rabbi says, at your wedding. <laughs> now, you did much better with that than first service. I think they were like half asleep. So often, people think of religion as a list of rules. You can't do this, you have to do that. Recently, I heard somebody describe Christianity with two words that really arrested my attention. Because I think these two words really capture the essence of what the Christian faith is all about. And here are those words. Love affair. Christianity, in the proper sense of the word, is a love affair. Look at this statement on your outline. It says this, that Christianity is a relationship between God and his people built on what? It's built on love. See, our relationship with God is not built on fear. It's not built on performance. It's not built on how good we are or how good we try to be. The relationship that God has with us is built on what, church? It's built on love. Now check out this verse from the New Testament. It says this, Long before he laid down earth's foundations, this is speaking of God, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his what? The focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. And look at this verse from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus. He is a God who is passionate, passionate about his relationship with you. One of my all-time favorite movies is Forrest Gump. How many of you have ever seen Forrest Gump? At least once. I've seen it a lot of times. And there are all these themes in the movie, but there's a theme central to the movie, and it's a relationship between Forrest and his childhood sweetheart, and what is her name? Jenny. And Forrest is head over heels in love with Jenny. And whether he's playing football or fighting in Vietnam or being the captain of a shrimp boat, his heart and his mind are devoted to Jenny. Now, 
What does Forrest want more than anything in the whole wide world? What does he want? He wants Jenny to what? He wants Jenny to love him. Now, why does Forrest want Jenny to love him? Because he loves her. Now, think about your relationship with God. Why does God want you to love him? Because he loves you. In fact, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. Now, if you were describing how Forrest feels about Jenny, you might use this phrase, he worships her. Now, I want to use that thought to define worship this morning because here is our working definition of worship. Worship is expressing our love to God. Worship is expressing our love to God. Now, for some people, saying the words, I love you, can really be hard. It's like the story about a little girl and a little boy. They were playing one day. And the girl says, hey, Tommy, you want to play house? He says, sure, what do you want me to do? The girl replies, I want you to communicate your feelings. Communicate my feelings, said a bewildered Tommy. I have no idea what that means. The little girl smirks and says, perfect, Tommy, you can be the husband. <laughs> and for some of us, communicating our feelings, I mean really communicating our feelings can be quite a challenge, not just with people, but even with God. Think about the family that you grew up in. Maybe it was a, a family where people were quick to say, I love you, but maybe not. Maybe you rarely, if ever, heard those words. Or maybe you grew up in a family where you were encouraged to kind of keep your feelings to yourself. After all, we all know this is true. Big boys don't cry. You get hurt? Throw a little dirt on it, Johnny. You'll be just fine. Or how about this? You were really hurt by somebody that you love deeply, and you promised yourself that will never happen again. And so you locked your heart and you threw away the key. Friends, the reality is this, that what we experienced in the past affects our relationships with people and affects our relationship with God. And that's why it's so important to understand that Christianity really is a relationship between God and his people built on, built on love. God loves us deeply, and he wants us to love him back. This is a verse from the book of Hosea, and this is God speaking to his people. He says, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And you can hear the cry of God's heart. He wants his people to really love him because he loves them so much. So here's the question. If worship is expressing our love to God, how do we do that in practical ways? I want to show you five ways this morning. And here is the first. We express love to God by obeying him. By obeying him. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, parents, here's a question. Are you pleased when your kids obey you? Nod your head if the answer is yes. Okay. Yeah, of course. Now, why do you want your kids to obey? There are a lot of reasons, but one is this. Because you know that if they obey you, it will be good for them, right? Now, think about this from God's perspective. Is God pleased when his kids obey him? Of course. And why does God want us to obey him? Because his commands are actually good for us. But here's what often happens, and we all know this. We, we look at the commands of God, the things that he says, and we decide, well, I'm going to obey this, but not that. We're selective in our obedience because some things are just, well, they're too difficult. 
or they're unpopular or they're unreasonable, like the young man who says, what do you mean that God says I shouldn't have sex with my girlfriend? Are you kidding me? That's not very reasonable. Or the young woman who says, yeah, I'll, I'll come to church and I'll serve in the nursery, but you know, God, when you say to forgive that person that hurt me so deeply, that's just, that's too hard. Or what about the businessman who, who comes to church, maybe he even goes to the BBCC men's breakfast, and he says, you know, God, um, when it comes to being completely truthful in my sales presentation, well, God, that's just not practical, because if I do that, I'll never advance in my career. Friends, God tells us that partial obedience is disobedience. And the reason God wants us to obey him is because he loves us and wants us to express our love to him by doing what he commands. Take a look at this verse. This is the attitude that, that pleases God. And this is something that King David says in the Old Testament. Just tell me what to do and I will do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll wholeheartedly obey. I was thinking this week that many times we struggle with the same temptation over and over again. And some of us this morning are struggling to break free from an addiction. Maybe we know somebody who is trapped in an addiction and we say this, I will try harder, I will pray harder. I won't let it happen this time, but it does. And what we need to realize is that Jesus taught the key to obedience is not trying harder. The key to obedience is allowing God to love you and returning your love to him. Because friends, listen, the greatest motivation you will ever have for reaching any goal in your life, including obeying Jesus, is because you love him more than you love your sin. That's why the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, is talking to Christians and he says, look, I pray that you'll have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because this love that Jesus has for us, it pursues us. This love that Jesus has for us transforms us. This love that Christ has, listen carefully, gives us the desire and the ability to live a life that honors God because we love him. So first of all, we express love how? You can tell me. Right, by obeying him. Here's number two, the second way that we can express love to God, through constant conversation. Constant conversation. When couples are in love, what do they talk about with each other? First service got this right off the bat. What do they talk about? What do you think? Yeah, everything, of course. And one of the things that I tell couples is if you want to strengthen your marriage, you need to talk. You need to have some couch time. You know, at the end of the day, sit down for 10 or 15 minutes at least and talk to each other about what happened. Last night, my wife Chris and I took a walk together. And we went over to the intercoastal and we sat on a seawall and we looked at the water and you know what we did? We talked. We talked about all kinds of stuff. And Chris and I have been married for a long time, but I remember when we were dating, man, we talked for hours. And it seemed like minutes. Ever, ever had that experience? And even today, my favorite thing to do is to talk to Chris. Because we can talk about anything and everything. And that is so true about God. He wants you to come to him and talk to him about what? About everything. Look at this verse from the Psalms that says this. I, I love you, Lord. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. How many of you would like to grow 
in your relationship with God. Just have a closer relationship. Well, if you do, it's going to take more than just coming here on Sunday morning. It's going to take more than just having a quiet time. It's going to take a constant conversation with God where you share everything with Him. Because listen, God doesn't just want to be an appointment on your calendar. He wants to be your constant companion. I had this, this keychain in my pocket for a long time until it finally fell apart. And it had a, a Bible verse, and it said, pray continually. Another translation says, pray without ceasing. And that's what God wants us to do, because you can pray anytime. I mean, you can pray when you're working, you can pray when you're shopping, you can pray when you're driving. Does anybody ever pray when they're driving? You should pray with your eyes open, please. But you can pray anytime, and that's what God wants us to do. Now, worship is not just an event, we know that. It's a way of life that involves a constant conversation with God. And the conversation involves two things. It involves speaking, and it involves what else? Listening. Now, how do we speak to God? What's it called? It starts with the letter P. Prayer, right? So we're supposed to pray to God. But how do we listen to God? What is the primary way that we can listen to God? It's by reading this book. God wants to share his heart with us as we read this book. And that's why as your pastor, I'm always encouraging you, hey, open this book and read it. Because God is sharing his heart with you. And think about this. In any relationship, if you want to be close to somebody, you have to listen to them. Not just once in a while, but all the time. And so if you want to grow in your relationship with God, you've got to talk to him and listen to him. And I love what, what King David said in this verse. He said, oh, how I love your law, God. I meditate on it all day long. The reason King David loves the law is because he loves the lawgiver. And he meditates on what God says. He listens to God and he thinks about it over and over again. And friends, when we do that, it brings us closer to God. And it's a way that we express our love to God as well. Now here's the third way that we express love to God. We express love to God by making a commitment to weekly worship with our church family. Weekly worship with our church family. Now we took a look at this last week. And I asked this question, can you worship God in any place other than church? And of course the answer is, yeah, of course. Look at the definition. If worship is expressing our love to God, can you express love to God when you're mowing the lawn? Of course. When you're at the beach, when you're on a boat, when you're on the golf course, you can always express your love to God. However, we should never discount the power of worshiping God together. Take a look at this verse from the book of Hebrews. It says this, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, that's the day of Christ's return, approaching. Let me ask you this. If you really want to change your life, what do you have to change? And the word that I'm looking for is in the second line, is the sixth word in. What is it? Habit. If you want to change your life, you have to change your habits. And church, what I pray for each one of us is that we will develop this habit of meeting together for worship each week. And we talked last week about the benefits of worship, that when we worship together, we experience joy. When we worship together, God enlarges our perspective because sometimes you come into worship feeling like this because you're overwhelmed and you don't know what to do. And when you meet with God, you remember, hey, God is God. He's bigger than my problems. He can give me wisdom. He can give me courage. He can get me through this, this challenge in my life. And so you go out like this. And we talked about the fact that when people who 
who have not yet made a commitment to Christ, come into a, a worship service where the worship is real, where people are really engaged in expressing their love to God, people go, whoa, there's something going on. They sense the presence and the power of God, and that draws them to Jesus. And here's something else. This is another benefit of worship, the fact that worship deeply encourages us. How many of you need encouragement? We need encouragement every day of our lives. And I was thinking just a little while ago, I was back here on the stage, and I had a different perspective than I have when I'm worshiping down here in the first row. And as I was standing here playing with a worship team, I was looking at your faces, and, and I saw people that were engaged in worship. And that's so encouraging to me, because when I'm with other believers, it reminds me, hey, you know what? It's not just Jesus and me, it's Jesus and we. Because we really are people of purpose. We're people that have a common mission. We're people that have a common goal. We're people that have a common destiny. And that is so encouraging. And not only that, when it comes to a weekly worship, we should remember that God says it's not really optional. It's something that he commands us to do. Take a look at this verse. It says, come let, what's the next word? us let us sing to the lord let us give a joyous shout to the rock of our salvation i was thinking this morning that historically there's been a really close connection between singing and worship and we see that in the bible as well and that really makes a lot of sense because if you think about it what is the number one topic of songs just over thousands of years. What's the number one topic? If you were to list them, what would be at the top of the list? Love. Love songs, absolutely. And what person has had more love songs written to him and about him than anybody else in thousands of years? Who would that be? Remember, if you don't know the answer, it's probably Jesus, and it is. Jesus has had more songs written to him and about him. I had somebody ask me this one time. Uh, Pastor Dudley, why do we sing so many songs in church? My answer was because Christianity is a singing faith. Singing is a way that we express our love to God. And in worship, who's the audience? Well, we're not the audience. Who's the audience? God, there's an audience of one. And we don't just sing about God, we sing to God. And when God hears us expressing our love to him, it brings joy to his heart. Okay, quick review. We express love to God, first of all, by what? Obeying him, secondly, by what? You can say it out loud. Constant conversation, number three, by weekly worship. And here's number four, by using our abilities for him. Using our abilities for him. Check out this verse. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. As certainly we serve other people, but ultimately we are serving Jesus our Lord. Jesus told a story one time about this master who was going to take a trip, called his servants together, there were three of them, and he gave them different amounts of money. In that day, money was measured in talents, and a talent was a good sum of money, so he gave one guy five talents, another two, and another one. And then when he came back from the journey, he called these servants together because he wanted to know what they did with that talent that he gave them. And the first two guys, I mean, they did a great job. They brought their master a really good return on his investment. But the third servant, some of you know the story. What did he do with his talent? He buried it in the ground. And was his master pleased? No, he was really ticked off. 
And Jesus told that story for a reason, because you have talents. God has given us different gifts and different abilities, and what does God want us to do with those talents? He wants us to invest them in his kingdom, not bury them in the ground. And there is a day coming when we're going to stand before Jesus, just like that story. And I believe that Jesus is going to ask me this, Dudley, what did you do with the talents I gave you? And I want to be able to say, Lord, I did not bury them in the ground, and you know that. I tried the best that I could to use them for you and for your kingdom purposes. And one of the greatest desires of my heart is for Jesus to look me in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what I want for each one of you. I really do. And you know, week after week, this, this church could not exist. We could not accomplish our mission without... So many of you investing your talents and your abilities in kingdom work. So thank you that you do that week in and week out. But let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten tired serving? I have. I've gotten exhausted serving. And I remember something that happened a number of years ago. And some of you will relate to this maybe more than others. How many of you were at Manatee Elementary School years ago? Okay, a number of you. Remember one Sunday morning, I had a really long week and I was really tired and, and didn't get much sleep. And we used to work really early, like at seven o'clock, we would start setting up for church and we would bring all this stuff in and all the sound equipment and all the chairs and all this stuff. It was a big production. And so on one particular Sunday, there were a number of people that just didn't show up on our setup team. And so I decided, well, I've got to step in and help. And so I'm moving chairs and setting up tables and you know, on the outside, people would say, hey, good morning, Pastor Dudley, how are you? And I'd smile, but I was not smiling on the inside. I was frustrated. I was upset. I was actually starting to feel sorry for myself, and I was having this internal dialogue that said, you know what? Other pastors don't have to set up chairs. They just go in a building and they just preach, man. And you know, it was so amazing because it was just at that moment that I sensed God tapped me on the shoulder and asked this question, so who are you doing this for? And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you, and you laid down your life for me. And friends, that is so important, this motivation that I want to serve to express my love to Jesus. And this, this happens. My wife, Chris, and I will be talking to someone, and we're inviting them to serve in a ministry or just help with a project, and this is what we sometimes hear them say. Oh, we'd be glad to do it for you, Pastor Dudley. And I think to myself, well, I appreciate that, but I want you to do it for Jesus. Because that's what this verse says, that we need to work with all of our heart as we were working for the Lord. And when we do, when we serve with that desire to express our love to Jesus, that's an act of worship. Well, here's a final way, a fifth way, that we can express love to God, and this is on your outline. We express love to God by giving joyfully. By giving joyfully. There was a guy who realized that it was his anniversary, so he went to the jewelry store, and he's going to get something for his wife, and so he's asking the person behind the counter to show him different pieces of jewelry. And every time this salesperson would show him something, he would go, no, that's too expensive. No, that's too expensive. No, that costs too much. And finally, the salesperson said, sir, would you like to see something really cheap? The guy says, man, that'd be great. And so she proceeded to give him a handheld mirror. Here's a really important principle about 
giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Now think about that. It is possible to give without the motivation of love. You can give because you feel guilty. You can give because you feel pressured. You can give for all kinds of reasons. But when you love, when you really love, you can't help but give. And this is what the Bible says. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, is talking about financial resources in this verse. And then he says this, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your what? Of your love. What does that mean? Paul says, listen, if you're sincere, if you really love, you can't help but give. The two go together. It's like thunder and lightning. And look at this verse about giving as well. It says, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives how? Cheerfully. Why does, why does giving bring joy to our heart and to God's heart? Well, it's because Christianity is a relationship between God and his people built on what? Built on love. And so God loves us, and we respond to this love by giving back to him, and God is joyful, and so are we. And yet, church, I know that it's easy for me to stand up here this morning and say, hey, hey, God really loves you. And certainly, I believe that's true. But I also know this, that there are times when life is hard. I mean, really hard. Hard for us or hard for people that we love. And there's a question that forms in our mind, and the question is this, God, if you love me, why? Ever been there? God, if you love me, why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my business? Why did I lose my marriage? Why did I lose my health, God? God, if you love us so much, then why is this world such a mess? Now, for, for many of us, when we're faced with those questions, and it could be a question you're asking yourself or somebody else is asking you that question, we have this framework. We have a biblical framework because we understand the story in the book. And we know that as the story began, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And because of their disobedience, sin enters the world and a curse falls on them and all of creation. And we know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we see that play out every single day in our world. Babies are born with defects and disabilities and there is war and poverty and crime and terrorism and all these things. The world is a mess. And yet, even at that, even though we might understand this biblical framework, we ask the question, but God, if you're really powerful, God, if you're really good, why do you let it go on? Why don't you stop it now? Just this week, somebody asked me that question. Because they said, look, it, it doesn't look like God loves me. It doesn't feel like God loves me right now. And friends, when we wrestle with those questions, I think there's only one place we can go, a place where, where doubt begins to dissolve and faith is renewed. And that place is the cross. Because at the cross, God didn't just say, I love you. He proved it. And I've experienced this, and maybe you have too. When we cry out to God and, and we're looking for, for answers to our questions, so often God doesn't give us an answer. Instead, he gives us himself. And that's exactly what happened at the cross. God gave us himself. Because Jesus said these words, For God so loved the world that he did what? 
he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have eternal life. People read that verse and they they wonder, what is that about? Should not perish. I'm doing okay. My life's not perfect, but perish? What do you mean perish? It's like somebody who's driving their car and they don't realize they're about to drive over a cliff. Because the Bible says that we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God's purpose. Because he wants us to know him and love him and trust him and obey him. And nobody does that perfectly. And the Bible calls that sin and our sin separates us from a holy God. And this God who is holy is just and that means that he's got to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment is for us to die and to be separated from God forever. And we call that what, church? Bad news. And it's really bad. And I want you to to grab hold of this. You cannot appreciate how good the good news is unless you know how bad the bad news is. But here's the incredible news. Jesus doesn't want you to perish. He came to this world because he loves you. And he loves you so much. He loves me so much that he lived the life that I couldn't live. And he voluntarily goes to a cross and suffers this excruciating pain, not just in his body, but in his very soul. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus did that so that we would never have to suffer that kind of separation from God. And then he dies. And the amazing thing that happens at the cross is that God the Father is willing to take our sin and our failure and our guilt and put it all on Jesus and punish him in our place. And Jesus stays there hours. He could have come down, but he stays there. Somebody said one time, it wasn't the Roman nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his what? His love. He was taunted, hey, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. No, I'm going to stay here because I love you so much. And think about this. Three days later, we know the story. Jesus is resurrected. He comes back to life. What does that prove? It proves that God the Father accepts the payment that Jesus offered for us. And Jesus says, listen, I love you so much. I want you to know this good news about my love for you. Come and follow me. Admit you're a sinner. Admit you need a savior. Believe that I died for you and I rose from the dead because I want you to have a life of purpose. And I want you to have a life where you know, where you are confident that you are loved, where you are certain that nothing can ever separate you from my love. And church, realize this. You may have been a Christian for five minutes or five hours, or five weeks, or five months, or five years, or five decades. It doesn't matter. God wants every single one of us to grow in our love for him. Isn't that true? And listen, the depth of your love for Jesus will be the depth of your worship. Because the more you love him, the more you're going to want to express love to him. And the mark of a church that is growing spiritually, growing in maturity, is the vibrancy of its worship. I want to close with a story about worship. First time that John Hernandez, John Hernandez is the director of Children's Impact Network. The first time he asked me to go with him to Columbia, South America, he was telling me about this pastor's conference. And he said, Dudley, you need to understand that these pastors and their wives, their families have been through really tragic situations that the communist guerrillas have murdered many of their family members. Some of their kids have been kidnapped. They don't know where they are. There's been a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. 
And I remember John said, I want you to go and just experience worshiping with these pastors and their wives and pray with them, and I want you to do some teaching. And so I was trying to prepare for this trip, and I remember we flew into Bogota, and then we drove for about three hours outside the city. We were in this really rural area. We're going down this dirt road. It's night, and we were late to the conference because our flight was delayed. And we're driving up to this building, and it's kind of set on a hill. It's a two-story building. There are no walls on the upstairs. And this second floor is packed with pastors and their wives. And as we get out of our vehicle, you can hear this singing. And it is so loud. And it is so joyful. And as we walked into this, this assembly of believers, it was almost like you could reach out and touch the presence of God. Because God was meeting with his people. They were expressing love to God, and God was expressing love to them. And it was an incredible time of worship. And I remember John Hernandez saying, listen, at the end of the conference this week, I want you to talk to these pastors. I want you to close our time together. And I want you to encourage them. Because they're going through a lot of stuff. And I thought, man, what an honor. What a responsibility. What a privilege. What do I say? And so I started praying, and my clear impression from God was this. Dudley, don't use your words, use mine. And I thought, that's a really good idea, Father. And so I looked at this passage of Scripture in Romans 8 that's always encouraged me, and I translated it into Spanish. And I worked so hard just trying to memorize that in Spanish so I could say that to these pastors and really encourage them. And church, this morning, as I close this message, I would like to leave you not with my words, but God's words. And I hope that these words from Scripture will encourage you, that they will give you courage and confidence, whatever you're facing in your life, and most of all, that these words will remind you that God loves you. This is from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is seated at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us with your words, those words you inspired Paul to write, that nothing in this universe can separate us from your love. And God, today, I pray for the person who maybe for the first time realizes that you really love them. And God, the response to that love is for us to bow our hearts and to decide to follow Jesus. And Lord, for the person who maybe 
wants to make that decision today, I just pray that in their heart they would simply say, God, I've failed in so many ways. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I know his name. It's Jesus. God, I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins, that he came back to life three days later, and I just want to follow him. I want to bring joy to his heart. I want to discover his purpose for my life. And Father, for us as a church, I pray, Lord, that in the coming weeks and months of this year, that you would, in fact, draw our hearts closer to you, God, deepen our relationship, not just as individuals, but as a church, so that we might worship you. God, that we might bring joy to you as we pour out our love. And Father, as we sing this last song, I pray that it will be a time for us to remember that you've called us into your family, that we are sons and daughters of God, and that we don't have to live in fear anymore. We can live in faith, believing that you love us and that nothing will ever change that. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.